welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is part 162 in the series, Contending for the Faith. This is the morning service of Sunday the 26th of November 2017, entitled, Two Eternal Abodes, A Place Called Hell, Part 1. And the Bible reading is taken from Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 to 8. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. Today we're going to be reading the same passage and looking at the last verse in it, Revelation chapter 21. Verses 1 through 8, Revelation chapter 21, I invite you to stand this morning to honor the reading of God's holy word. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away He that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things And I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire, which burneth of the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Father, we thank you this morning that as we have the opportunity to look into your word once again, that we can have the confidence of knowing that by the power of your spirit that lives and dwells within, Lord, we pray that you would speak to our hearts today that which needs to be heard. You know every heart here. You know that one that is lost that needs to be saved, that one that is saved but is backslidden and needs to be restored. You know the burdens, the challenges, everything that every Christian is facing in their life right now. So, Father, we pray that you would meet those needs as only you can and that everything that we do, every word that is spoken, every action that's performed, it would be pleasing to you and according to your perfect will and bring glory and honor to you. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen and amen. We've spent this time in these past weeks looking at this topic and the fact that there are only two places in which every human being will abide for eternity. One of two places will be each and every one of us, every one of us here today. One of two places will be our eternal abiding place. Now, we've looked in God's Word at that which is being explained in these first seven verses that we have have read here. We've looked to the Word of God 
to establish and confirm that one of those places is called heaven. Verses 1 through 7 here have spoken of this, this place that we call heaven that we see clearly in verse 7 there that the promise is to them that are the overcomers, to them that overcometh. And, of course, we've looked a number of times over the years that the overcomers, of course, are the believers, those that are in Christ Jesus. That's the only way that we can overcome. But if you are in Jesus Christ, you are an overcomer. We sought to understand as best we can this place that is described to us in God's Word, a place that is so wonderful that God himself tells us that we've never heard words, we've never spoken words, we've never seen anything. We haven't even been able to imagine in our hearts what God's got in store for us there. 1 Corinthians 2.9, But as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. The promise in verse 8 was to them that overcometh. Here it is to them that, that love him. Them that love him, the overcomers, are those that believe on him. Those that have trusted in the finished work of Jesus Christ. The saved, the genuinely born again. The true believer has a place reserved for him. A place which has been prepared specifically for you and no one else. Your reservation has been made, and no one can take it away. You know, companies in this world, they have the, the audacity a lot of times to overbook more places than what they've got. Airlines are famous for this because they know that a certain number of people are not going to show up. So if they have the opportunity, they will overbook a flight so that those that don't show up, somebody else will get their seat. Problem is, sometimes more people show up than they expect, and somebody gets left behind. But if you're a child of God, nobody will get your reservation here. <laughs> nobody else will get to take your place. You see, as a child of God, we're waiting. We're looking for that day when the Lord Himself will return to call us out of here. We call it the rapture. He's going to call us and we're going to go. <laughs> and then he's going to change, we saw, this, this vile body that we live in with all of its sin curse. He's going to change it into a glorious body just like his. And then he's going to complete that journey once and for all. We're going to be with him, to abide with him forever and ever in this place called heaven. A perfectly prepared place for a perfectly prepared people, we said. Now, we must turn our attention, though, to the other place that's mentioned in this passage in, in, in verse 8. You see, notice he says here, but the fearful and unbelieving. The first seven verses have been for the believers. But this is for the unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall 
have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. You see, everybody has a promise of an eternity somewhere. This one here is referred to the second death, the unbelieving. We all face death in this life because the wages of sin is death. These bodies will die. And if it doesn't die, the only ones that won't go to the grave are the ones that are still here when the trumpet sounds and the Lord comes back to call us out of here. But whether you're in the grave or whether you're walking on the top of this earth, the truth is you're going to be changed in the moment in the twinkling of an eye. That old is going to be taken off once and for all, forever and ever, never to die again. But for the unbeliever, there is this which is called the second death. Sadly, some people think of death as just a, a ceasing to be. But folks, death is not necessarily a ceasing to be. I can tell you that death, for the one thing, is to be totally, completely separated from God for all of eternity. To be totally separated from everything that's good, from everything that's godly, from everything that's holy. You see, it is the second death. And the Scripture says they shall have their part in a place that is described here as the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone. You see, I propose to you and I propose that we will look at the Scriptures over these, these next weeks to establish that that is the place called hell. We find that once again, we want to look at what God has to say for us concerning that place. Now, I am well aware that we're not only living in a time and day when political correctness is of such importance, even to the point that many times it threatens our, our basic rights and freedoms, but we're also living in a day of pulpit correctness. It's causing us to avoid many things that might offend somebody in this modern, civilized way of thinking. Most people today, most people have no earthly idea what is in store for them. Because the preachers are afraid to preach about it and the Christians are afraid to talk about it because we might offend somebody. Folks, I don't enjoy preaching on hell. But it's an essential that we do. Can knowing about hell save anybody? No. Not in and of itself. Matter of fact, people can know everything that there is to know about hell. They can know more about hell than you do as a believer and still not know how to be saved. What it can do, though, and what it has done for many, is to motivate them to seek God because they don't want to go there. If people see and understand what lies in eternity, for many people it will make them to seek for an alternative for that. It can certainly motivate people to seek for the Savior. And the Bible says if you seek for it with all your heart, you will find Him. If people begin to search, you see, a vast majority of the world today 
It's just too comfortable with what they have. And especially in our Western societies where we have been blessed so much, they're comfortable. They don't really know what lies at the end of that path. You see, it's kind of like the story of the prodigal son. He wanted his worldly riches. He wanted the partying. He wanted to be out there with his friends living it up in the fleshly, worldly way. He wanted all of that. But he did not see where the end of that path led to when he was out there trying to eat the scraps of what the hogs wouldn't eat. The devil doesn't show you the end of the way. And the more of the world that he can get into your life, the better he likes it. He doesn't want you to stand out and be different from the world. He wants the world to be comfortable with you, but the bad thing is is that most Christians want the world to be comfortable with them. You see, most people in our society consider that they've got a good life. They've got a good home, a good job, a great family, holidays all over the place. They got a nice car to drive. They got smart clothes to put on. Maybe even a caravan or a boat or some of these luxuries to go out and enjoy themselves. In general, they just got a good life and they like what's going on. They just kind of live like it's going to last forever. But what we're looking at, folks, is that it's not going to last forever. One of, do we understand? Anybody here like talking about hell? Anybody like thinking about hell? And yet it is one of the prominent doctrines in the New Testament in our Bibles. No, people don't like to hear about it. People don't like to think about it. Many people don't even like to believe it. It's been shelved for the fear that it might offend somebody. I understand that. But I understand this, and we need to grasp it today. If I've done my research correctly, and it should be somewhere in the ballpark at least, there's something like 162 references in the New Testament alone warning about this place called hell. Over 70 of those were uttered by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Is it important? Do we think that it's important? This place called hell. You see, since the days of Jesus, when he was speaking about it on this earth, people have refused to accept and believe it. Some religious organizations have even turned away from it themselves and they They'll have nothing to do with this place, this eternity in hell. We find that some might say, well, preacher, you can't really know for sure because you've never been there, have you? <laughs> no. <laughs> you've never seen it for yourself, have you? No. I mean, some people say that about heaven and hell. They always have and they always will. And that's true, I haven't been there. But you know what? I'm, I'm interested because they think that I have to have been there to believe it. I believe that a lot of places are real that I've never been able to personally visit myself. 
Some, the things that I've heard about these places, man, it's on my bucket list. I mean, I want to go there. I want to see that place. I want to experience that place. Others with other people's nightmares, I hope I never have to go away, go that place if I can avoid it with everything within me. I've never been to either. But there's some I'd like to go to and some that I want to avoid because I believe that they're, they're real. I certainly will say that about heaven and hell. No, I've never been to either place. And I believe that they're real, more real, even the places that I might have seen with my eyes and physically because God's the one that said it. I can fool myself into thinking things that aren't so, but God says these places are real. And God spends a lot of time in his word trying to get us to understand these simple truths. Now, I don't know if you've ever met, but I've met some people that say that they've been to heaven and come back, and some people that have been to hell and come back. Some people return and, and, and write books and tell all about it, and, and people ask me, can, can, can that be true? Well, I personally doubt it, but the simple truth is it doesn't really matter because I would not base my eternity on what somebody else thinks that they've experienced, how real or unreal that it is. It doesn't matter. That's not what I want to base my eternity upon. I wasn't there. I wasn't the one that said they experienced it. I know that we can experience all kind of things that are real and unreal, but they're real to us. I've experienced being in the presence of people that when they went to leave this world, they were convinced. I mean, they were convinced with everything within them that they were seeing something. You see, I've been there at people's deathbed when they were sure that they were getting a glimpse of the face of Jesus. I've been there when some were sure that they were getting a glimpse of, of some light as things were darkening in this world. I've seen them when whatever they were seeing gave them such a sense of peace in the midst of death that it's indescribable. I've also been there when I've seen others that were filled with such fear that it was indescribable. I can remember even as a young boy, I was probably 8 or 10 years old at the time, I can remember having a godly aunt that was I mean, she was as godly a lady as I ever met in my life. But my Uncle Fred was lost. <laughs> he was raised to be a Christian, but he wanted nothing to do with it. I can remember as a young lad being in the yard at that house when he was dying inside of cancer. I can remember my dad and others being in there. I can remember hearing the literal screams. I was outside, and they were in a, in a house with the doors closed and everything. And I remember as I was older and asked my dad about that day, I remember him saying that they were having to hold him on the bed because he was convinced he was feeling the flames of hell. Was my Uncle Fred feeling that? I don't know. I don't know if it was the reality of the truths when people had presented him with the gospel year after year all through his life and he had rejected it and rejected it that he knew at that moment the reality of what he had been told, what he was experiencing. I don't know. 
But I want you to grasp and understand today we can't base our lives and our beliefs and what we're doing on what other people have experienced and what they haven't. See, these experiences are real to people, but they can be for all kinds of reasons. This body and this mind can do all kinds of weird things. In the end, I'm saying it doesn't matter. If you're going to know beyond a shadow of a doubt, and if you're going to base your life upon it, we have a more sure word of prophecy than anything that you've ever thought, anything that you've ever felt. You have God's word upon it. That's what it's got to be based upon. Popular or unpopular, accepted or unaccepted, believed or not believed, we've got the word of God. And it's the word of God alone that must be our reference for our proof, our evidence, our knowledge, our confidence in either of these places called heaven or hell. It's vital. It's imperative that we understand God's teaching, not what people think or don't think, not what people try to make it so that it, it feels more comfortable. They may have the best intentions in the world. See, we need to know what God says. If nothing else, if you don't know the truth, how can you ever make a conscious decision? You see, for the Christians, my preaching and teaching on the realities of hell should not frighten you a bit. It should affirm to you God's love for you and what God has saved you from and what God has pulled you from. But for the unbeliever, me pretending that it's not real. Me trying to make it more comfortable or more palatable. That's not going to do you any good as an unbeliever. Neither is my trying to make it anything worse than what it is, if that were possible. You see, today, for the believer and the unbeliever, I'm saying that it is vital that we understand the truth not just what man thinks and what man's comfortable with. We are contending for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. This is where it's at, folks. This is what we've got to contend for. Not what I like and don't like and feel comfortable with and not comfortable with. What does God say? Why did Jesus spend so much time talking about this place? You see, when we begin in looking at that place called heaven, we saw the first thing is that we have to recognize that it is a place. It's not just a fairy tale. It's not just a story. There are many academics today that would say that, oh, the church has made this place up over the years to get people to do what they want them to do. I've had people tell me all these things. It's what a lot of the academic world honestly believes out there. Understand this. They're not trying to make it up. They genuinely believe it. And we need to understand that. We find that we saw that heaven was a definite and a real place according to the Word of God. And now that's where we need to look. The only, the same place so that we can see just as surely that hell is just as definite and just as real as that place 
called heaven. You see, hell is a word that is often used in, in, in common language. It's just a place of future punishment for the wicked. And I guess if you had to put in a simple term, that's the way that most people would define it. But there's other meanings that are expressed by that term that we've got to recognize in order that we don't have confusion, so that we don't have error. And, you know, we're not going to get into an academic class in here. I'm just saying, take God's Word on it. And when you look at God's Word, though, understand what God is saying about this subject. You see, in your Bible, we saw when we talked about heaven that there were three different heavens that were talked about. The first heaven, the second heaven, and the third heaven that we spent most of our time looking at. There are four different words in the Word of God that are translated as hell in your Bible in at least some places. There's one word in the Old Testament, which is the Hebrew word sheol, S-H-E-O-L, sheol. There's three words in the New Testament, Tartarus, Hades, and Gehenna. We're going to look at these. We're going to look at these because if we are going to truly understand what God wants us to know about this place called hell, we only can look at God's Word to understand that and to know what it is that He wants to show us. Sheol in the Old Testament. You see, the general idea of this word is, is simply the place of the dead. The place of the dead. And that's why that it's often translated as grave. We find that it is the place of the unseen state. The place of the dead. The unseen state. That where we're going that, that nobody's seen or experienced. The place of those that have departed from this life. Hell. Grave. Pit. That's the three words that it's most often translated into. The thing is, in the Old Testament, that one word, Sheol, it's, it's used not with separation between the, the righteous and the wicked. It's the reference to both the righteous and the wicked that, that they're going to. Of course, we know that as Scripture goes through, what we know that God progressively throughout the Word of God, He reveals more things to us. We can see a better picture the Old Testament reveals less than the New Testament on this doctrine, but it's still important to understand what it is. Even there, in the Old Testament, there are these strong, strong hints that give us an insight into some of the things about this place that is beyond this life. We find that if you recognize and Realize that when we begin to, to look at hell and what to expect in that place, that it's something that, just like we said about heaven, it's something that is not easy for us to be able to put these things into, into words a lot of times. It's not easy for us oftentimes to be able to describe and understand, and I would be the first to say that that this place called hell 
There's a lot of things that I don't understand and don't know about it, just like that I don't understand and know about that place called heaven. But I know that when we look at this place, I know that in Luke chapter 16, we find a reality of a place that we'll look at later that is called Hades in the New Testament. And it's the reality of those of when they pass from this life, there is that immediate awareness in another life. In the Old Testament, that place that's referred to as Hades was referred to as this Sheol, this unseen state. Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 22. Deuteronomy chapter 32, as far as I know and I can tell, it's the first place that the word hell is used in your Bible. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 22 says, For a fire is kindled in mine anger, and shall burn unto the lowest hell, and shall consume the earth with her increase, and set on fire the foundations of the mountains. Now this was in the early days of beginning to understand. That's the first time in the Bible that the word hell itself is recorded. But if you look right back into Genesis chapter 37, Genesis chapter 37, notice what it says there in verse 35. And all his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted, and he said, For I will go down into the grave unto my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Jacob, sorrowing over his son Joseph, he was going to go down into the grave. The same Sheol, this translated hell later on, in Numbers chapter 16. Numbers chapter 16, notice what it says, picking up in verse, verse 30. But if the Lord make a new thing, and the earth open her mouth and swallow them up, and all that appertaineth to them, and they go down quick into the pit. That's where Sheol is translated as pit, same place. Then he shall understand that these men have provoked the Lord. And it came to pass, as he had made an end of speaking all these words, that the ground clave asunder that was under them, and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up, and their houses and all the men that appertained to Korah and all their goods. You see, this was the punishment of all those pertaining to the Korah to be swallowed up, to go down into this pit. Now for Jacob and Joseph, Jacob in his sorrow going down into Sheol, going down into Sheol, going down into the grave, was not the same as it was for the punishment of these wicked Korah going down into the pit. Same place. You see, God inspired his word one time as we were looking in our Bible study this morning. But God, when he gave us our Bible that we have today, 
these words that were translated into different English words, they're used as the grave and a pit to contrast the difference. We must realize that in the inspired word, it's all talking about Sheol, that place after death, the place that's unseen. And in some cases, it's a place for the righteous. And in some places, it's a case for the unrighteous. You see, some people would say and teach that it's just the grave, that that's the end, that's all Sheol is, and that that is all that is there for us today, that when this life comes to an end, that we just go to the grave. You look into Isaiah chapter Isaiah chapter 14, we find that Sheol is not just the grave, folks. Isaiah chapter 14, he says in verse 9, Hell from beneath is moved for thee to meet thee at thy coming. It stirreth up the dead for thee. Even all the chief ones of the earth, it hath raised up their thrones, all the kings of the nations, and they shall speak and say unto thee, Art thou also become weak as we? Art thou become like unto us? Thy pomp is brought down to the grave, and the noise of thy vials, the worm is spread under thee, and the worms cover thee. Hell, grave, we find that it is definitely that which is beyond this life. It is that unseen state. But what he's showing us here is far more than just a hole in the ground that you're put into and left there. Notice in 2 Samuel chapter 22. 2 Samuel chapter 22, and he says in verse 6, The sorrows of hell come past me about. The snares of death prevented me. Sheol, we find that it was a place of sorrow. We find that if we look into Psalm 116, that it's described not only as a place of sorrow, but he says in Psalm 116, verse 3, they then called I upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, deliver my soul. Deliver my soul from what? Look up in verse 3, the sorrows of death come past me and the pains of hell get hold upon me. I found trouble and sorrow. Chill. Chill, the same thing that is there. Some people think that somehow that once we get to the grave that there's nothing else beyond that, that it's just a time of sleep, time of unconsciousness. Well, Ezekiel chapter 32, even what God had already revealed about this place called Sheol in the Old Testament, in Ezekiel chapter 32, verse 21, he says, The strong among the mighty shall speak to him out of the midst of hell with them that help him. They are gone down, they lie uncircumcised, slain by the sword. Sheol. It was used for the righteous, but it was used for the unrighteous. It's not just, a, not just a grave, though it's used to define the grave. 
This Sheol, this pit, this grave is a place of sorrow, a place of pain. It's a place of consciousness. We find that in Proverbs, if Solomon was supposed to be the, the wisest man that ever lived, in Proverbs 23, notice what it says in verse 14. He says, Thou shalt beat him with the rod and shalt deliver his soul from hell. That wasn't just a grave, folks. It wasn't just delivering him from a hole in the ground. In Isaiah chapter 33, notice what it says, Isaiah chapter 33, beginning in verse, verse 10. The Word of God says this, Now will I rise, saith the Lord, now will I be exalted, now will I, be, now will I lift up myself, Ye shall conceive chaff, ye shall bring forth stubble, your breath as fire shall devour you. The people shall be as the burnings of lime, as thorns cut up shall they be burned in the fire. Hear ye that are far off what I have done, and ye that are near acknowledge my sight. The sinners in Zion are afraid. Fearfulness has surprised the hypocrites. Who among us shall dwell with the devouring fire who among us shall dwell with everlasting burnings? Hey, preacher, that's not nice. No, it's not nice. That's what we need to grasp and understand, that there is a place, a real place. I've made the statement before, and I will make it again, that there are many that might teach you about soul sleep, they may teach you that when you die that you're just there sleeping in the grave until the Lord brings you out one day. There are those that would teach you about places like purgatory. They would say that somehow once you leave this life, there is this in-between world that you go that still gives you a chance of somehow working out or figuring out your destiny. There's nothing in the Bible about any of this. What we need to understand and what we need to stand upon and what we need to be very firm upon is that there are only two places that we go when we leave this life. One is heaven and one is hell. As we begin to look, okay, what do we know about this place that is called hell? Well, there are many things that the Word of God teaches us about it. But what I want you to grasp and understand today is the reality, the reality of this place. And I want you to know that as we begin to look at all of these words and what they mean specifically, they will help us to understand the picture that we need to see of this place called hell. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 4 he says, For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. And then the verse goes on, the chapter goes on, and if he didn't spare Sodom and Gomorrah, and if he didn't spare these that have so well, what makes you think that you can miss that? You see, these are not comfortable things to think about. But they are important things to think about. And there's a right and a wrong way. 
You know, I, I, I've said before, I don't really, I mean, you know, man, you do what God leads you to do, but I don't think you're going to be real successful if you head down to the bull ring later today and you go down there and you start going up to everybody you see and tell them, man, you're going to hell. You're going to hell. You're going to burn in hell one day. I don't think you're going to reach too many of them that's going to want to hear what you've got to say. You know, it's just like, and, and, and I, I know they're good. There are there are tracks for some places and tracks for other places because you're trying to get a message across to people. You know, we there's 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 tracks. You can probably find some in the track box in there that that have got pictures of the lake of fire and people burning in it and whatnot. And you know, a track like that can can maybe have an effect upon someone because it's truth. There's nothing wrong with what it's being said, but that's not exactly the track that's probably going to make you headway to be able to share the gospel with somebody because like I've said before, you know, just like when Peter stood on the day of Pentecost and he preached and all those people got saved, he was preaching to people that had been taught the Bible all their lives. They just had to come to recognize Jesus, who he was. Moral Paul didn't have that experience on Mars Hill when he went to Greece and he was preaching there at Athens, did he? Now they had all these different statues. They had all these different gods. But the one that he went to tell them about was the one that they didn't have, the unknown God. They had one up just in case they'd miss somebody, that unknown God. He said, that's the one I want to tell you about, the one that you don't know. You see, we oftentimes are trying to still witness to people about these truths like Peter did because we come from a society that at one time most people had heard the Bible, most people had been taught the Bible, but today we're in more of, more of a Mars Hill society. We need to understand. And we need to know. I mean, we need to make the right approaches. But my focus these next weeks, I know, it may not be the most exciting thing that you've ever heard, but we need to understand, man, heaven is real. And it's where we can go in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's where you can go today. A place can be reserved. If you haven't been saved yet, right now, right here today, you need to understand when this life comes to an end, there's something beyond it. There's a place called heaven. But there's a place called hell that even in the Old Testament, it was a place, a place of punishment, a place of sorrow, a place, place of pain that many people went to. You're here today and you're saved. Just thank God. You don't have to. But recognize this. If you don't know for sure, if you're not 100% sure that you're saved, then why not do so today? Whenever you take that last breath. I'm not saying this to scare you. I'm saying get real. Heaven and hell are real. Grasp that. Understand that. Accept it, because God has a lot to say about it. And realize that beyond this, yes, there is the grave. But the grave, though translated as hell and pit sometimes, the grave was more than a hole in the ground. Sheol was more than a grave as we said. Yes, it was the place of the departed. It was that unseen state. But we see it could be good or it could be bad. We'll bring this together because as we move into the New Testament, God willing, next time we'll look at this place called Hades. 
and Hades was more compatible to the Old Testament Sheol and what is taught in the New Testament. We need to understand this. People get confused. They can say, well, the Bible says this about hell, and it says that about hell. Yes, and it's all true. But just like if you get the first heaven, the second heaven, and the third heaven mixed up, if you get Sheol and Hades and Gehenna mixed up, you're going to have some wrong doctrines, and some of it's not going to make sense. If you're going to know about hell, and if you're going to be able to honestly tell somebody else about hell, make sure that it's in the Word of God. And the first thing you need to know is if you're here today, you know that you're not going there. You know that your place is reserved in heaven because any of us could take our last breath today. Where will we spend eternity? Only you can make that choice. And if nothing else, I hope today will remind you that if you leave this world, you will be conscious somewhere. It's not God's will that any should perish. He doesn't want you in hell, but he wants you to come to repentance. He wants you to have life everlasting in the Lord Jesus Christ. You can have that today, or you can keep your pride. You can walk out of here thinking that you don't need it. You can keep whatever it is that you're hanging on to that you don't want to let go of. But today, only you can make that choice. My encouragement to you today is don't make hell what it's not. But understand, first of all, that it is a real place. The Bible is very specific. and The Bible has a lot to say about it. There's a lot more verses that we could look at in the Old Testament. But I hope that that picture is clear that today... Beyond this life, there is an unseen state. There is something beyond this life. And each and every one of us will experience that in some way. Father, you know the hearts of each one here today. You know exactly, Lord, where their reservation is right now. Lord, I know. I, I'm, I, don't, I hope I never get comfortable preaching about hell. But I know that it's real, and I know that we need to understand the truth of it. We need to understand these things because so many people take and they twist it and they turn it and they make it all kind of things that aren't, whether it's for the worse or for the better. Just help us to understand from your perspective what it is. And I hope that you'll allow us to be able to build upon that and have a real picture of what is really ahead of us in the life after this one. Now, you know the hearts of each one here today. I can only pray, Lord. I can't pray for them. I can't pray in their place. But I can pray that they would come to realize. I can't pray the prayer for them, but I can pray for them. They would come to pray that prayer for themselves. Lord, if there's any doubt of their standing with you, help them this day. Help them this day to humble themselves. Seek that forgiveness and turn to you. And for each of us as believers, help us in some way just to count another blessing to grasp the great love that you loved us with to save us from this place called hell. We're saying in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. 